Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us once again for our CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation, the final conversation of the year. Glad to have back with me in our podcast studio here in New York City, uh, Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Uh, Jason, hard to believe though, here we are right at the uh, tail end of yet another year. What a year it was and it's great to be with you to close it out. A lot to catch up on before we turn off these mics for 2022. It's great to be here. It, um, it's good to be here in one piece after a challenging right. year. <laughs> Absolutely. And just thinking about last week, Jason, we did have the last major economic and policy events of 2022 occur. And I'm referencing the release of the November Consumer Price Index, CPI inflation data. We also had the Fed's final meeting of 2022. So just putting this all together, Jason, what is CIO's takeaway for how those events turned out and how the markets responded? Well, starting with the CPI data, it was better than expected for based on relative uh, expectations and consensus expectations in the market. So headline CPI came in on a year-over-year basis at 7.1%. Consensus was 7.3%. So uh, that's an improvement. Also, core inflation, a little bit better than expected. So measured on a month-over-month basis, it came in at 0.2%, expected 0.3%. That was the lowest monthly core reading since, I believe, August of 2021. So you know, signs of progress, definitely. Uh, I think we can say with a fair amount of confidence in this point in time that inflation has peaked. Headline was at 9.1% in June. And all the trends right now suggest it's going to continue to decline, you know, in the, in the coming months. So that's the good news. I mean, there's some details clearly that show that goods inflation is falling really rapidly. Uh, in fact, in some cases, it's outright deflation, like the prices are falling in absolute terms. And that's really what's dragging it down, whereas the services side is still holding quite steady. So it's good news, but like not absolutely fantastic news. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other part of it, and you have to kind of view that data in the context of what we got about two weeks part of that, which is the November payrolls report, where we saw average hourly earnings far exceed expectations. You know, They came in at 0.6% month over month, expectations were 0.3%. Then when you look at sort of wage growth this year, really what you see is kind of like a flat line or sort of on a plateau. It's bumping around a little bit, but it looked like it was trending lower. The latest data points suggest that's not the case. It is one data point. It could be an anomaly, but we're not seeing a lot of labor market kind of cooling, which is critical because if the labor market and wage growth doesn't cool, it's hard for inflation to fall you know, back to 2%. So that was the takeaway from CEPI. Good progress, but there's still more work to be done. On the Fed front, it came in sort of as expected in terms of what they did, raised uh, interest rates 50 basis points. They updated their economic projections and their dot plot for how high they think they will raise interest rates. On both of them, I think it was a little bit more hawkish than was expected. In particular, a lot of focus was on you know the terminal rate, how far does the Fed expect to raise rates. And after that CPI data, that was a little bit better than expected. The view in the market or the debate in the market was, will they ultimately raise rates to somewhere between uh, 4.75% and 5% or actually go over 5 to be between 5 and 5 and a quarter? They did the latter. Uh, and it was pretty unanimous. There are 19 different participants who kind of give a projection where they think the Fed funds rate will be by the end of next year. 17 of those 19 said over 5% which is a little bit surprising mm-hmm. because there's definitely been some Fed officials out there over the past month giving a more dovish tone, like we should moderate, we don't want to over-tighten. So it's clearly a pretty strong message that the Fed is saying, you know, we have more to do. Mm-hmm. They also updated their economic projections relative to what they were forecasting in September. GDP for next year is worse than they were anticipating. It's only half a percent. 
unemployment goes up to about 4.6%, a little higher than before. Inflation slightly stickier, and again, rates go up. So if you look at all that, that's a kind of relatively hawkish message. And it's also, if you look at the economic forecast, basically they're saying a recession. Uh, so that's you know the kind of the, the factual aspect of it. Now, when Fed Chair Jay Powell gave his press conference, he kind of tried to reiterate that, focus a lot on the labor market being tight. But he also said some things that you know, added either nuance if you want to be optimistic, or perhaps a little bit of confusion from the market's interpretation. Uh, for example, you know he didn't push back when he had a chance against the easing of financial market conditions over the past month. Uh, he was asked about you know would the Fed reassess their two percent inflation target, and he said no, it's not even in consideration. And then at some point said, but maybe down the line. So he could have closed the door on that entirely, but he mm-hmm. didn't. As a result, what you saw was the markets ultimately at the end of the day kind of closing. Almost unchanged. Mm-hmm. You know, interest rates didn't go. We change. did see a big dip initially. You saw the big yep. dip on okay, this is a hawkish message, and then a bit right. by a bit, it sort of like unwound to like at the end of it, it's like the the markets kind of like shrugged their shoulders and said, right, okay, and digested a bit, which is you know relative to past Fed meetings where we've seen you mm-hmm. know you know moves of two three percentage points up or down on those days. This was quiet by comparison, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think that was the you know kind of the takeaway is you know hawkish, but really hawkish. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of things that are, are worth just kind of highlighting is that there is, because the market really didn't react very much, and the market's expectations for how high the Fed will raise rates is still around 4.85%, which is basically a full hike less than what the Fed is saying they're going to do, mm-hmm. that does create the potential for disagreement, let's put it that way, between the Fed and the markets going into Q1. Mm-hmm. If the Fed says, we have to go here and the markets don't believe it, either the markets have to move to the Fed, which is a challenge you know, for, for rates going higher, or you're going to lead to some sort of you know you know perceptions of a Fed policy mistake if the, if the markets think the Fed doesn't need to go higher, mm-hmm. inflation is coming down. So with that in mind, Jason, the question becomes: with this final batch of notable information, where does that exactly leave the economy and the markets as we're just about to embark here on a new year? So our year ahead is titled the year of inflections, right. and the idea of the inflections in kind of growth. You know, when is it going to trough and maybe get better? The inflection for inflation. When is it truly like? you know, clearly come down or does it inflect and plateau? And then probably most critically, you know, when does the Fed and other major central banks pause and then ultimately kind of cut rates? When do they inflect? So if you think about what we've know as of today, you know, after the data from last week, uh, I'd say, you know, growth is proving to be a little more resilient than people would have anticipated by year end. Uh, we're seeing you know, definitely some slowing of activity and retail sales data from last week suggested the consumer Certainly hasn't been buying holiday gifts, uh, maybe as much as, as people mm-hmm. anticipated. Uh, so there's there's some impact there. At the same time, the strength on the labor market just continues. We're now seeing wages rise faster than inflation. So consumers are regaining a little bit of spending power. Mm-hmm. That will help them going into next year. So the thoughts of when a recession could start, I think, incrementally getting kind of pushed further and further into 2023. Some people thought by the end of this year or Q1, now it's looking like Q2 mm-hmm. uh, or, or even maybe later. I think that's that's sort of given what we know right now. I think that inflection on growth is being pushed out a little bit. Uh, on inflation, you know, we've seen a, a pretty you know rapid decline over the past couple of months, at least in headline inflation. Given some of the details and sort of base effects, that's likely to continue for the next four or five months. So there are market pricing that suggests that by May, headline inflation could be down to about 3.5% mm-hmm. from 7.1% and you're getting the peak at 9.1%. So it's a pretty rapid kind of deceleration. The key question is, like, are these sticky parts, like services inflation, wage inflation, wage growth, they haven't really inflected. Will they inflect? I think that's kind of – that's 
more of an unknown because we haven't clearly seen that yet. And in terms of the, the central banks, it wasn't just the, the Fed that was relatively hawkish. We saw the ECB be pretty kind of hawkish as, as a result, or at least as well. Given that the market's expectations for the Fed versus what the Fed is saying are diverging for the first time really in a, in a while, that does set up, a, again, sort of a potential bumpy path to this inflection point whenever it may come because either the market has to catch up to the Fed, taking rates higher, and that's probably bad for risk assets, or the, it's not, and then the Fed ultimately has to sort of capitulate to realize like, maybe we don't have to go as far. Uh, but it'll take some market probably pain either way to get there. So I think the, the macro is, you know, Looking okay, but deteriorating. I think there's a little more uncertainty maybe on the on the Fed, like at least in the next quarter or so. So it sounds like as we're heading into at least the first half, the first quarter, especially some choppy waters, though, as inflation might come down, the setup for the second half might be brighter skies ahead. Would that be a, a fair assessment? I mean, it's a fair assessment. It kind of comes down to, in some way, good economic news on the labor market could actually be detrimental to some extent because if the labor market isn't showing any signs of cracking – there's no reason why the Fed just can't keep hiking rates, say like 25 basis points for at least a few more meetings, which again, the market isn't at this point in time anticipating. Uh, if that happens, they just keep going. It just sort of means really the second half of next year can actually be the pain point of growth really cracking because the first quarter at least will still be too resilient, at least from the consumer and the labor market. So not to spend too much time going back in time, though it's always helpful to reflect, assess how we got to where we are today. I do want to bring up, Jason, that you did write a blog titled Word of the Year. This is part two in which you assessed how well your prediction 12 months ago when we were speaking around this time last year, 2021, looking ahead in 2022, the finance word was soft landing. Mind you, there's a hyphen there, so it does count as one word. But with hindsight, Jason, do you think that word choice soft landing. Was that appropriate? So this time last year, I wrote what may be the first of a multi-annual series of kind of word of the right. year from a finance right. perspective. A new tradition. Uh, looking back to 2021, you know, the word of the year in finance probably would have been transitory, mm-hmm. you know, you know, because everyone was talking about transitory inflation. Looking ahead, that clearly was not going to be the case anymore. So I kind of thought the the markets will be focused a lot on ultimately as the economy slows, will we get a recession or will we get a soft landing? So it's like you know, soft landing or hard landing, but you know, you, you know, pick one of the two. That was sort of what I thought the markets would focus on a lot, you know, this year. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a call for a soft landing, but more of like what is the market narrative, you know, focused on a lot. Given where we are right now, we just discussed the possibility of a recession next year. Uh, I think that's a reasonable sort of candidate. So I think I'd give myself at least, you know, maybe a B or B plus on, on that forecast. Sure. Uh, it's certainly been you know, story this year. Although I'd say, if you think about what's the dominant stories for the markets this year, it's clearly been the Fed and other central banks raising rates at unprecedented rates, or at least, you know, unlike they've done in, in 40 years. So something like hawkish, you mm-hmm. know, or, or financial conditions or tightening, something along those lines, uh, you know, I think would probably be the, the more accurate sort of dominant story this year. And the second half, or I'd say even the last quarter, pivot, you know, in terms of the Fed, mm-hmm. when will the Fed pivot has been sort of tossed around constantly. But I think as a, as a late candidate, probably didn't have enough runway to, sure. to make it for, for this year, at least. Um, so I think, I think it's, you know, soft landing is, is, is up there, maybe not the definitive word uh, in, in the financial markets. And just as we're on this word of the year topic, I would just point out also Oxford English Dictionary came up with their word of the year and it's goblin mode. 
I don't want to give too much away, though I probably am here because we do, of course, encourage our listeners, our clients to read your blog, Jason. Again, that's Word of the Year of Volume 2 as you put out your first blog of the sort last year around this time, though you did give your word prediction, your 2023 finance Word of the Year, which you think will be disinflation. So why exactly did you arrive on disinflation, Jason? So keep in mind, this is not a forecast of what's going to actually happen it's a forecast of what the markets are going to focus on. So going back to what we discussed a few minutes ago regarding, regarding the inflation data, we are experiencing disinflation right now. Mm-hmm. Inflation numbers are coming down from, from 9.1 to 7.1, could be as low as like, you know, below 4% by the spring of, of next year. So that's, that's what disinflation is. It means inflation levels are falling. Deflation is when prices are actually outright negative, like you're getting price declines. Mm-hmm. We are getting that in the goods sector. We're not getting that at all right now in the services sector. The reason why I think it will be, you know, or it's sort of my word for the year is that clearly people expect inflation to fall. It's sort of driving some of the soft landing beliefs that are priced at least into equities to some extent. It's going to be a sort of a dominant, you know, discussion in the first half of next year as inflation does decline, because the question will be, well, how far does it decline? Are we do we go all the way back to two percent for headline and for core, kind of also around two percent? Does it plateau at some point? stuck by wage inflation being high. So we do, get, do we get wage disinflation as well? Uh, I think that's probably more important than even the discussion about soft landing or recession, because it really hinges on what, what will drive the Fed and other central banks. Because if inflation is falling quickly, wage inflation is falling quickly, it may mean the Fed doesn't have to quite, quite go as high in terms of raising rates, but they can also get then the compelling evidence that Powell said yesterday they need to see before they actually start cutting rates. Mm-hmm. If it turns out that doesn't materialize, they probably have to hike more or they just kind of go kind of you know, t- go longer. That sort of Fed pivot of when they could cut rates, uh, I think that's probably the bigger driver ultimately for markets, more so than even if there is a recession. When you say hike rates, to what extent? Think about just the, the dot plot of the Fed saying we're going to go to between five and a five and a quarter, which would mean three 25 basis point rate hikes, say okay. Feb 1 in the middle of March and maybe May. They could do 50 on, on Feb 1. People were looking for clues from, from Powell yesterday. Mm-hmm. Could they further decelerate their rate hikes from 75, 50 right. to 25 of the next meeting? There wasn't enough to kind of really convincingly say one way or another. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's say it is 50, then, then 25. But suppose the economy is not slowing at all. Job growth is still 200,000 a month and wage growth is still 5.5%. Well, then the Fed's saying, we're not getting any real benefit yet. We need to go higher. So the risk is mm-hmm. that the Fed goes not just to five and a quarter, but they go to five and a half or closer to 6%. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there, you know, with making legitimate cases that like this is what they would have to do to actually bring inflation down. 75 to 100 basis points in the rear view mirror at this point, would you say? Yeah, I think I think so. 75, I think, is certainly within the realm of possibility. But, you know, thinking of, of how much more they could do, it could easily be 150 basis points, mm-hmm. you know, more. So they're not going to do only 25. I think mm-hmm. 50 is probably, again, you can... Barring something truly surprising, that's almost certain, which means they're getting close to 5%. So mm-hmm. the skew clearly is just to the upside. Sure. So that's going to be hinge a lot just on this disinflation story. In an environment where, and, and this gets into the investment side, in an environment where you have growth that's okay and disinflation and the Fed that could ultimately cut rates, that's really good for risk assets. If that doesn't materialize and the Fed keeps hiking, then it's sort of a replay of kind of the struggles we've seen you know, this year in markets. Mm-hmm. So just thinking about what would be sort of the single dominant theme for the markets next year is inflation coming down enough for the Fed to be able to ultimately actually pivot or not. That, 
if that happens, that gives the tailwind for risk assets to go higher, even more so than if growth is kind of muddling through or there's even a mild recession. Well, when we reconvene for this episode a year from now, we'll see how relevant this inflation is, or maybe it's more so goblin mode. Yeah, well, or or some other term that uh, right. I've also hasn't never been heard invented of. yet. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, before we wrap up, Jason, I do want to acknowledge the final CIO letter of the year, which was authored by Global Chief Investment Officer Mark Hayfley. He titled it New Year's Portfolio resolutions, very appropriate for this time of year. Within the letter, there are 10 resolutions aimed at helping investors prepare for the year ahead 2023 and navigate what are likely to still be challenging conditions, at least for the first quarter into the first half. We can't cover, of course, all 10, so we do encourage our listeners, our clients to give Mark's letter a read. Though, Jason, as you went through the resolutions, what are maybe two or three in particular that you think are the absolutely most critical for investors to follow in 2023. So as some of the non-top two or three that I was going to highlight, you know, for example, like, you know, boost your income, seeking income opportunities, you know, uh, get some insulation, i.e. add defensives and value, all think kind of good uh, and advice and recommendations. But the first two on the list, I don't think the ones that sort of jump out to me. Uh, and the first one is, you know, pick your battles, policymakers will likely drive market inflections. So this kind of goes back to this discussion we had regarding disinflation mm-hmm. and the Fed. You know, we've learned this year, you don't want to fight the Fed when it's in tightening mode. If they continue to be in tightening mode, it's probably going to challenge environment for the markets. When they stop, you know, fighting and when they say we're going to be your friend again, that's a time where you want to think about, well, this is the point you want to buy. So understanding what is the key driver uh, and sort of not try to kind of go against where the flow is going, where, where, where policy is going. So I think that's, you know, number one. And then number two is, you know, think about the bigger picture. Uh, you know, from a longer term perspective, we've seen returns or the expected returns look better than they have in a number of years, specifically for fixed income. You know, with now rates where they are at three or four percent, you can actually get income from fixed income in a way that you really haven't in mm-hmm. almost 15 years. But even as a result of the, of the bear market this year, some equity valuations uh, across you know, the U.S. and globally now suggest, you know, valuations that look, you know, you know pretty interesting, certainly from a historical perspective. Mm-hmm. Even something like energy, which is one of our most preferred sectors, right. has done very well this year, up 50%. Relative to the market, it's still very, very cheap. So, you know, there there is, you know, kind of good long-term opportunities. But the other thing I would say is, you know, we spent much of this conversation discussing the latest CPI print, the mm-hmm. latest Fed meeting, and focused on the next one or two. It's certainly important to kind of understand how the markets are evolving, but it's also important to kind of take a step back sometimes and think about where are we going to be in one or two years. Uh, If you can kind of stomach kind of volatility and understand what's driving it near term, think about there are these opportunities, you know, longer term. This is not a bad time to kind of think about, especially as the year turns, you think about, you know, your portfolio, kind of refresh, say, how do I really want to be positioned? I can't time the markets exactly. None of us can. So what are the opportunities and, and how do I want to be set up for an environment that I think is going to exist one year, two years, three years down mm-hmm. the line and be sort of prepared for that? The big picture. The big picture, exactly. So I think that's an important reminder as we kind of get you know lost in the weeds sometime and like kind of pull back and say, where am I really going? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't call everything. Let me make sure I try and get some of the, you know, the, the big kind of things right and then take it from there. Well, those are great resolutions to balance out with hitting the gym or eating better. I know I have a stationary bike in my office that has more cobwebs than a haunted house. So I'll keep those in mind and pair that with some lifestyle resolutions as well. Great insight. 
insights and guidance to leave us with as we close out the year, Jason? Yes, you should do the Wednesday dance on the cobweb right. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Yes. You can clean the house at the same time. Exactly. Yep. Jason, this has been great. Uh, thank you very much for capping off 2022 with our listeners, our clients here on The Snapshot. have really enjoyed our conversations over the past 12 months. I know there's a lot in the year ahead that we can look forward to catching up on, keeping our listeners, clients informed on along the way. So thank you again for everything, Jason, and looking forward to catching back up with you in January. You're welcome for a great year and, and uh, better times next year. So happy holidays, happy new year to you and to all of our listeners. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.